Hey folks, and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Mishka Gatkoff, and today my guest is Ian Prue, CEO of 1047 Games. Now, 1047 Games just raised a whopping $100 million at $1.5 billion valuation. Their first game is Splitgate. They have gotten 13 million installs in beta. Their team is 40 person strong, and this is the first game by the team with no previous success in the genre or in games. Uh, it's pretty much Ian's first full-time job out of Stanford. And some of you might be saying, this is nuts. This makes no sense. Games industry is overheated. The market is crazy. But you know what? There's plenty of founders who were college dropouts who ended up establishing pretty big companies. So I wouldn't write off things so quickly. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the podcast. We appreciate all feedbacks so sent it our way. And without further ado, shout out to our fantastic sponsors, Facebook, IronSource, AppsFlyer, and Beamable. This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do, do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. It's easy to make good choices when you have good insights, right? Well, AppSlyer's open platform provides the measurement, analytics, engagement, and fraud protection technologies you need to get the answers to all of your questions and make good choices for your business and customers. Is customer privacy important for you? Good. With AppSlyer, you can accurately measure your marketing while protecting customer privacy. Bringing in new customers is great. Getting accurate insights while protecting your customers' privacy is even better. AppSlyer's privacy-preserving measurement and cost aggregation technologies give you insights you can count on across channels, platforms, and devices. And here's something we all agree on. When it comes to the marketing, you should only pay for what works. AppSlyer's incremental lift testing makes it easy to make good choices for your marketing budget through accurate, unbiased insights into the true value of your marketing outcomes. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appslier.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. We pretty much use just about every single product that uh, IronSource offers. We're, we're completely integrated with the platform. Of course, the mediation products, all ad, ad products, and the company that can assist us in doing UA and monetization and all the uh, additional products that come along with it. It takes a lot of uh, headache away from us. It takes a lot of the hard, busy work off of our hands, having a kind of an all-in-one platform. You just heard Andrew Stone. He's the CEO at Random Logic Games, who use IronSource's platform to grow their games in the smartest way possible. If you want to grow like Random Logic, you can get the SDK on IronSource's website. That's ironsrc.com.
Hey, Ian, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So you're the, I mean, as, as people heard already in the intro, you're the CEO of 1047 Games. And, and if 1047 Games doesn't tell anything to anybody, then I'm sure Splitgate will. So your, your first title, I mean... Well, it's our 1047th title. Yeah. 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 So, so the, <laughs> but your, your first title really came out of the canon. I mean, it's a shooter that can be described something as a Halo meets Portal. You got 10 million downloads in first month in open beta. And this is not on mobile. Like in mobile, this would be big, but you're not even on mobile. So this was on Steam as well as on the consoles. And swiftly after the game received such a you know, huge welcome. You communicated that the game will remain in open beta for foreseeable future. So how did you manage to, first of all, I mean, the, the question that everybody's thinking about is like, how did you manage to have such a massive launch for a shooter from a studio that hasn't done shooters before, nor are you an Activision or Bungie or, you know, you don't have the, uh, the big marketing right. models behind you and why are you not launching globally? Yeah. <laughs> Good questions. So I guess to answer the, like, how did this happen? I mean, it's, it's a combination of a number of things. So, so we actually did a soft launch in May of 2019, mm -hmm. which some people know, some people don't. And that launch went, it didn't go so well. We, we kind of had this big influx of users and this big drop pretty much immediately. I think what was unique about how we went about this was our, our thought process going into this was never that we're going to have the perfect game on day one. It was always. We're going to do a soft launch because that is the way that we're going to learn. And I would rather spend money marketing a product that is, you know, well-optimized, available on more than one platform, you know, has good metrics, right? I'd rather spend money marketing that than spend money kind of the traditional way of in your first few weeks, you have no idea if the game is actually good, mm -hmm. you know, if it's going to do well. And so we, we learned a ton from the soft launch two and a half years ago. A lot of that, especially we learned about new user experience, right? Like that was the number one glaring issue we had. Cause I mean, the game, it's, it's significantly more polished. It's got more features, it's yeah. got more maps, yeah. but it's still the same core gameplay. You know, two and a half years ago, the game was still very, very fun. But what we learned is there's so much more to making a successful game, especially in free-to-play than having a fun game. Um, and all of those different learnings about new user experience, right? Retention, monetization, like, there's no way we could have learned that, especially as a new studio, right? As you pointed out, like this is our first game. We couldn't have learned that if we didn't do this first launch. So, you know, to a lot of people, it looks like this overnight success of launching a beta and just blowing up out of nowhere. To us, it's like, well, we've been working on this for years. We've been learning for years. And the big belief for the last two and a half years was as soon as we get over the hump, we should start to see fast growth. And what I mean by that, you know, especially being a multiplayer game, right? We had, you know, our number one, two, and three problem all stemmed from the same issue, which was not enough players. You know, if you have a PvP game and you don't have enough players, it you could have the best game on the planet, but if people have to wait 10 minutes to get a game and it's a lopsided match where LeBron James is going against a JV high school kid. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how good your game is. It's never going to going to work. Not to mention high ping for pretty much anybody who wasn't on US in US, right? So all of those things all kind of led to us thinking like, okay, as soon as we roll out this beta, 
if we can get to, you know, our magic number internally was like, if we can get to 2000 concurrent players, we should be able to grow quickly. And on day one of the beta, you know, and again, we did no marketing. We just had enough of that, just a little bit of hype. We had a, a little bit of press, right? IGN covered us. We just had a small amount. We, we just had enough to get over the hump basically on day one. And with crossplay and Xbox and PlayStation and PC, that was enough for us to on day one hit 4,000 concurrent. And then it was just kind of off to the races because this game that has been kind of secretly really, really getting good, mm-hmm. but just didn't have the player base to grow. All of a sudden it's like, bam, like all of those problems are solved. And that doesn't mean that the game is perfect, but it means that instantly the product, not only is it better because it's just got more stuff and more polish, but it actually is working like a well-oiled machine. So that was a big part of it. And then I think it was just kind of, you know, we do, we really do fill a void. You know, I can't tell you the number of times we've heard how arena shooters are dead and they'll never make a comeback. Mm -hmm. You know, my point of view has always been, well, you know, it's not that the world has stopped liking arena shooters, right? You go look at Twitter. There's so much love for Halo and Unreal Tournament and Quake. Like those are great games. The reason that they haven't taken off is number one, none of them have, you know, innovated in any meaningful way in the last mm-hmm. 10, 20 years, right? Quake Champions, I think is a perfect example of a game mm-hmm. where it's like they it's it's the same formula for 20 years ago from 20 years ago with some slight tweaks that nobody really wanted. And, uh, but more importantly than that, I think is accessibility. All of these arena shooters are, ex- you know, extremely high skill ceiling, which we have, but it's, it's too high of a barrier to entry. It's, it's, there's no way a 12 year old Fortnite kid is going to go pick up Quake and, and be able to kill anything. Right. Yeah. And in our game, you know, our, our philosophy is easy to learn, difficult to master. You know, anybody can pick it up. You can be the most casual player on, on earth shoot stuff, have a good time, but we still have that ridiculously high skill ceiling with the portals that is so, so, so addicting. Hmm. Take me back to the uh, the point where you first went into this, what would you call it, closed beta or a soft launch where you first tested, I think it was like a 600,000 installs that you got initially. And you You're saw- like two months ago or two years ago? No, two years ago, the one two years ago. So yeah. so you, you got, you got, you know, was it 600,000? I think it was something like a quarter. I think it was 600,000 in the yeah, first Yeah, yeah. yeah I've, I've done my research a little bit. So, so um, you, you remember better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you come in. That's that's a hefty amount of installs. That's that's plenty of data to play around with, plenty of players to play around with. I'm curious, like, how did you take those, you know, hits and kind of went back and started to polish? Like, what were you seeing? What was the team? And, and tell me about the process of polishing yeah. the early gameplay and really focusing on that versus versus other elements. Yeah, I mean, there were two. I mean, I think the, the first thing we were able to do is kind of take a step back and instead of just panicking and being like, why are players leaving? It was like, yeah, I mean, instead of getting frustrated, it was more like, okay, well, why are they, right? Like, let's actually ask the question and try to answer it. And uh, we're a very data-driven company. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, what we pretty quickly realized both from the data, but also just anecdotally, we'd see this, you know, we watch a lot of Twitch streamers, right? We'd see this all the time where people would come in, you know, try a new game, right? And when we first launched, we had no tutorial, we had horrible onboarding, and most importantly, we had this terrible matchmaking um, where essentially, I mean, what we saw was 59% of new users would get 
obliterated in their first match. And, you know, no surprise there, but if you get destroyed in a free-to-play game in your first match, you're not going to play a second match. You know, maybe you do, maybe, but like probably not. We saw half of those users that got obliterated, right? So 59%, half of them wouldn't play a second game. So that's 30% of our players would play 10 minutes and quit. And, you know, even more than that would maybe, maybe they make it through the second and third game. But if you're getting destroyed, you're just, you're not going to stick around. It's a very different experience being a free-to-play game versus, you know, if you think of like the process of buying, you know, I think of the games I grew up playing like Halo 2, right? That process was, you know, my I asked my mom, hey, I want I want this game no. for my birthday. She drives to GameStop. She buys it. She then a week later gives me this box that I have to open. I'm now stuck with that because, you know, it's one of maybe three games I got for my birthday or maybe one game. It's something that I've gone in with the expe- expectation that I'm going to enjoy it because that's what I asked for. I can't resell it. You know, I'm committed, right? Um, so I'm going to give that game a fair chance with free yeah. to play. It's very different. If you're not having fun in the first few minutes, like you're done, you know, and most of your users are not going in with the expectation to enjoy it. They're going in with the expectation of, you know, potentially, oh, it's a free to play game. It's probably not very good. Or maybe it is, but, but even them, you know, maybe they're going in with the expectation of like, like oh, I saw an ad or I saw somebody else playing it, it looks like it could be, but they're not going in with the expectation, especially as like a no name IP that no one's heard of to enjoy it. And so you really need to make sure that that first game is really fun. So for us, you know, the first learning lesson was we really have to be disciplined with our matchmaking. Like we can't just kind of take these new users for granted. Like if they get poorly balanced games, like that's horrible. So we, you know, we implemented an ELO-based system and that was a huge step function improvement for us. We added a tutorial that was also very important. And then, you know, the next thing that was huge for us was bots. Yeah. Basically, it's just, it's the training wheels you need. You know, if you're, if it's a PVP game, you know, I mean, after we added the matchmaking, right? Way better. Like retention went way up, significantly better onboarding. But even then, we're still seeing 50% of our users would lose their first game. Mm-hmm. And they weren't getting obliterated quite so badly, but it was still a lot of those users, they would lose. And even if they didn't get destroyed, they didn't have fun, still a lot of players were quitting. And so we introduced bots so that we could guarantee, okay, we want all, all new users should win their first three games. They should be placed on really well-performing maps with modes that are simple where they can learn it instead of getting something, you know, just getting thrown into the fire. Yeah, of course. Um, so that was huge. You know, those two. And then since then, it's just been dozens, if not hundreds of tiny little 1% improvements here and there. So yeah, so I mean, a big focus of ours over the last couple of years has just been constantly improving that, improving retention, 1% here, 1% there. And, and you know, you add it up and then you have that explosion that just just enough to get over that hump and it took off like a rocket ship. Okay, so three things, matchmaking, tutorial, and bots were, were the big ones. How big was the team at that point when, when you first entered? And how long did you stay in that sort of, how do you call that phase? Closed beta? or We called it our MVP. Oh, your MVP, yeah. How long yeah. were you in the MVP phase before you kind of pulled it out the store to work on these, these big features? Well, we never took it away. Oh, okay, so it was always there. Yeah, so the MVP was out May of 2019. Mm -hmm. And then it's just been two and a half years of 
constantly improving and, and iterating. Um, and then most recently, you know, in early July, we launched our beta. It's a little confusing, right? We've gone from like the launched, the soft launch MVP to now we're back in beta and we haven't actually launched yet. It's, it's just a branding thing, right? Like yeah. for us, I mean, I think the reason we're still in beta is because part of it was just all the servers, you know, we just having to scale up this quickly. Like we thought we had way more time, but even from like a feature point of view, like our, our ambitions have just gone through the roof, you know, with the most recent funding, it's just like the number of things, everything is on the table, right? Like everything before we're being, you know, a 30 person team with a tiny budget, you always have to cut corners. And that doesn't mean you can't make an amazing game, but it just means that like, there's going to have to be sacrifices made of course. Um, for us. Now it's like all of the things that we've wanted to do that it was like, well, we, you know, that's not a need to have, or that's too ambitious. We can't dedicate, you know, the entire team or else we won't get anything done other than this thing. Like that's all on the table. And so the things that we want to do for this, when we do actually launch and call it 1.0, like we want to have a finished, polished quadruple A product. And that's something that we feel like is now totally within reach. Got it. And you were 30 people when you first entered the MVP, right? We were probably 20, 25. 20. And uh, now you're, you're double or? We're maybe 35. I actually don't even, I, I've been so busy with just a million things. I've kind of just empowered my team. Uh, I mean, hiring is part of it. Like we're, we're hoping to be a hundred person team by the end of the year. By the um, end of this year? Yeah, we're hoping to. It's ambitious, but <laughs> <laughs> this, this September now, just just so so that you know. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, aim high, and then if you don't quite make it, we're yeah. still in good shape. Yeah, sixty-five uh, people by the end of September, by the end of this year. Yeah, well, we'd like to. I mean, we'll we'll see. Maybe early next year, but I think you know, for us, um, it's about hiring the right people in leadership positions and then empowering them to go hire sure. their teams. There's so much stuff flowing through me right now. Just that's the nature of a startup. That's the nature of a, of a small team. So I'm out, you know, I'm recruiting the best of the best. And if I can get the top marketing person in the industry, the top user acquisition person, the top, you know, revenue person, there's just so many different, you know, we want to like, top executive producer, right? Like there's just so many different roles that we need to fill right now. And we have the budget to do so that you know if i can get those top positions fast and then tell them look go hire whoever you want mm -hmm. right build your team hire 10 people for marketing if you want to you know as long as it doesn't get in the way of productivity but we we need to ramp up fast and right now we're focused more on the long term than the short term yeah that's going to be challenging hiring so many people so quickly yeah um, well yeah. we've so we've gotten up to like 35 to 35 probably now i've lost track but you know, our art team is very, it is a well-oiled machine. Danny, our art director has done an amazing job recruiting. And the thing about recruiting is you get a few key hires and then, you know, talent attracts talent, right? Of so course. you get somebody, we got somebody who previously worked on Destiny and Halo. And now he's got a bunch of friends who are saying, oh, I want to go work with you again on this thing. Like, and I think, you know, the fact that Splitgate is now a recognizable IP, you know, that's helping with recruiting. I think as soon as we announce this funding, like that's going to help with recruiting a lot. And the funding so gets we, announced when? Probably Tuesday. Okay. Uh, so, so we can talk openly because this podcast will air just after the funding. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I assume Lightspeed is leading the other uh, round. 
Lightspeed is the lead, and then we've got Insight and Anthos as well, and participation from I think all of our or most of our previous investors. So mm-hmm. we've got Galaxy, V Games, Lake Star, Human Capital, and Draper. Right. Well, that's that's the uh, that's everybody. How big was the uh, the round? So this is a hundred million dollar round. Holy shit! Congratulations. Yeah, yeah you. you can hire anybody. Um, yeah, and, and I mean the other thing is you know we've got a hundred million. We haven't like even, I mean, we haven't spent hardly any money. I mean, our burn rate is nothing. You know, our, we raised six and a half million three months ago. Mm-hmm. We raised 11 or 12 million a month ago. So we've got like 20 in the bank on top of this hundred. And that's not to mention like we are making significantly more than we're spending right now, just every day off of skins and everything. So we can go hire very aggressively and go get anybody we want. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Okay. So team is growing. You need, you need, you know, senior leadership to, to really run live services on this game. What else? But how did you, how did you kind of get there? Like when you started 1047 games, you weren't yeah. a group of, you know, X Bungie, X no. Call of Duty. Yeah. <laughs> there, there has to be like ton of doubters. You know, I, I, I kind of know where you're coming from with this. So Everybody probably told you that that making a shooter is impossible, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. I think that's bogus. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, when we started, like, we, we definitely took a Silicon Valley startup approach, mm-hmm. right? So, like, that's what we're familiar with, just being from Silicon Valley. You know, my co-founder and I started this out of Stanford. So, like, that was the whole thought process was, like, we're going to treat this like any tech startup. And... It happens to be a video game because that's what we're passionate about. And we've got this cool idea. But really, at the end of the day, it's just a business, right? It's just purely comes down to if I can, you know, if I spend a dollar on advertising, am I making a dollar fifty back? That's really what it boils down to. I mean, that's an oversimplification. But like that was our point of view from the get go, as opposed to kind of the typical hit driven model of like, you know, we're going to pour all of our marketing into the first couple of weeks. We're going to hope it catches fire. And if it does, great. Like we knew, okay, there's no way we can do that model as two Stanford kids, right? Like that's just not going to happen. And I don't think that model makes sense. And, and, you know, and now we're starting to see that actually, like there's more games like Fortnite, Apex, Call of Duty, you know, everything is going in this direction. But, you know, four years ago, five, five, or, yeah, almost five years ago when we got started, you know, there was no, there was no Fortnite, right? There was just, everything was still the old school hit yeah. model. and our thought process was, okay, we're going to, we're going to change the way we do this. So I think, you know, for us, it was just take it one day at a time, right? Like, you know, it was very easy to get overwhelmed, but you know, Nick is brilliant and I like to think I'm pretty good too. <laughs> so and, uh, I feel yeah. like you took this free to play model I mean, you took this free-to-play model and you're using it on consoles and PCs and, and well, yeah, console and PC, Steam is, is the same thing. How come you, you didn't go mobile? Well, we'd, we'd like to eventually. I mean, I think it's just a natural, like, I mean, you know, we started with the MVP on PC only because that's the easiest. And then it was like, okay, we've, we feel comfortable enough to go launch our base. You know, Xbox and PlayStation are the natural next evolution. But ultimately the goal here is, you know, we want to be a multi multi-game studio with multiple hits across multiple genres and multiple platforms, right? Like 
Splitgate is the beginning. And I mean, there's so much more to do with Splitgate. Not only, you know, we want to come to everything, right? We want to come to mobile, Switch, Google Stadia, Epic Games, mm -hmm. app, you know, Mac, right? Like I, my vision <laughs> is coming to everything. Yeah. Um, and, but there's also just so much to do, not only coming to everything, but adding to the game and then adding new games and, you know, more games within the Splitgate universe, but also games outside of the Splitgate universe that have nothing to do with Splitgate and don't even have guns, right? Like there's, there's so much we want to do with this. Like our vision here is not just, let's take this little, this really cool and awesome game and like, just keep doing it. It's, it's yes, we're going to do that, but there are a thousand things we want to do with this game and with this IP and not just that we want to build the next, you know, the next big gaming company. Let's take a little break and talk about how to boost your live ops. Now we all know that you need great people and fantastic tools to get the most out of your live games. And I'm sure you got the people part covered but how fantastic your, your tools truly are. Well, listen, if your game is made with Unity, you need to check out Beamable. Beamable is like an operating system for live games built in Unity. Beamable simplifies everything from updating your game to selling all those cool in-game items with special offers. And when it comes to live events and competitive features like leaderboards, Beamable got you covered. And Beamable is not only for your product folks, with visual prefabs for Unity and the ability to keep you all to keep all your server code in C sharp means life is simpler for your programmers, and most importantly, you'll get to the market faster. If much lower cost of development and efficiency of operations is your jam, then Beamable is your toast. Go to beamable.com because deconstructor of fun told you so. What what does ten forty seven games stand for? I mean, like, what, yeah, where does it come from? So that was the uh, that was the address of the dorm that my co founder <laughs> okay. and I met. Yeah. All right, <laughs> I got it. It's not yeah, the amount so of actually, games you want to do. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't want to do that many games. <laughs> no, yeah. So ten forty seven. So the dorm. So it was my senior year and Nick's junior year. There, it used to be a frat house actually and mm -hmm. then they they actually kicked the frat off <laughs> campus and they like renovated it and turned it into like a really nice dorm and it didn't have a name it was just 1047 just named after the address because it mm -hmm. was like well it used to be this frat and now it's just 1047 and uh, we got selected i mean you know you you draw yeah. for your dorm that was one of the like sought after ones that we ended up getting just kind of luck of the draw. And that's where Nick and I met. So we, we aren't good at coming up with names. So we had all sorts <laughs> yeah. of random ideas. We're like, well, you know, 1047 games kind of works, you know, there's three, four, three, there's, you know, what, what difference does it make? Yeah. yeah. Bungie. What does that mean? Like, you know, <laughs> Right, right. I get it. No, I was just kind of asking because you were saying like you want to do so many games and so many different platforms. I'm like, this is the uh, the the other uh, name has a reference to, yeah. to this aspiration. <laughs> no, but, no, maybe not. Maybe we'll do like I don't know. Maybe forty seven. Tell me about a couple of things. I mean, of course, you raised a lot of money, and that's you know coming in from. Are you currently based out of San Francisco or or, or somewhere? No, so I'm I'm actually currently I'm based out of. South Lake Tahoe. We're a remote company. I am not in Tahoe right now. Like I, you know, the whole Tahoe is on fire right now, unfortunately. Um, really? 
yeah so my, my place is okay i'm on the nevada side but yeah like my whole like the whole town has had to evacuate basically oh, shit. Um, so i was uh, my parents are in the bay area so i was staying with them i'm actually now in seattle but yeah got it but i'll be back you know back in tahoe hopefully that gets figured out in the next and few weeks you're fully remote you've always been fully remote Wow. Interesting. Interesting. So the, the COVID had no effect on you guys. Like you didn't have to learn anything new. You're like, okay. Well, it did. So that's, it didn't have an effect on like our, our structure of just how we went about things. What it did do is we actually had a funding deal that kind of, that ended up not happening because of COVID. So that put us in a really tough bind. We also, I mean, we, we had to make layoffs because of this. We had to delay things because of this. So it definitely affected us, but in, so, in terms of just like the day-to-day, -day how we function, like we didn't have to relearn or figure out things. Yeah. So, so we, okay. So we delayed the funding because in the beginning of, of the whole COVID people were super unsure what's going to happen next election was happening. People were like, is there going to be a civil war in the U S we don't know and everything was up in the air and then games industry just skyrocketed yeah okay got it and then you were on the rocket so what's the can you talk about kind of like the other you know is there a pressure raising so much money or do you feel it more like liberating um, i don't i i feel very weird it's like how i'll say like there's such a mixture of emotions like that yeah. i don't think like it's just a constant combination of like overwhelmingness but also excitement and mm -hmm. extreme stress but also <laughs> like extreme like pride and just it, it's just i'm all over the place right yeah. now and i'm just honestly i'm just trying to like take it one day at a time yeah um, like i can't afford to worry about 50 different like just i just try not to let it affect me and it's just like okay the only thing i can do is work as hard as i can and you know, do the best I can. And if I do that, I have faith that I will end up succeeding. And, you know, that Splitgate and 1047 games will get to an extremely ridiculous level of success. And we're not there yet. I mean, we're in a great spot. Yeah. The funding, it, it definitely, like, in terms of our mentality, like there's so much more we can do. So that's, that is kind of the, the change in mentality. I think also just in terms of like, I don't know, I mean, it just, like I said earlier, it's like everything that was kind of off the table is now on the table. You know, the, the kind of people we want to hire, like we're going after them, but it's definitely a, a weird feeling to be in this spot where you're just all over the place in extreme highs and extreme lows. And just like, <laughs> I don't know, not extreme lows. It's just like, you know, extreme pressure, but also like feeling great. So it, I really, I'm just trying to take it one day at a time. Yeah. I can't really describe it. Yeah. I mean, you're describing being an entrepreneur. I, I understand it. It's yeah. just everything in the same day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And just being pulled in, you know, like, all right, what are we doing on the product? You know, what are we doing on hiring? Like, what are we doing on marketing? What are we doing on fundraising? You know, we've got publishers reaching out. Are, are, should we talk to them? You know, should we do a deal with them? Or should we, you know, are we getting distracted? Right. Like, should we just focus on product or should we just focus on hiring? And the answer is like, yes, you have to do everything. Like, <laughs> so. Is it, I mean, you haven't worked on site ever, right? 
Like you haven't, have you, have you, do you have experience of working in a game studio that is, you know, everybody's in the same place or? No, I don't. I mean, I, so I worked at Apple for a couple summers as an intern. I was on their games technologies team. So not really working on game, but working on like, you know, the tech behind gaming, you know, Sprite kit and scene kit. Yeah. I don't even know if those are still a thing or not, but so that was great. I mean, that was, and, and honestly, like a lot of what I've learned just in terms of like how to be a leader came from that because I, I really did just have the most spectacular, awesome team there. Like my manager and my coworkers, like we were, it was an awesome unit. So I definitely think like being part of that, I learned a lot about just how to create a fun culture. I mean, I think Apple's kind of strange, right? Cause like you have all of these isolated different teams that don't even interact, but like the team I was on, mm -hmm. In some ways, it felt like a startup. I mean, it, it didn't exactly because you're part of this giant machine. But at the same time, it's like I'm on a team of 10 or 12 people and we're all a unit and mm -hmm. we've got our manager and like everything above the manager, I was never really exposed to. Right. So as far as I was concerned, it was like being part of a 12 person startup with, you know, the manager being the CEO. Yeah. And the brand being Apple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that little thing. What I, what I'm trying to ask is like, it's like because because this is something that we've gone through in our company, and and we like everybody who works at at our company has worked at a studio before, and then when COVID was, I mean, we were coming to the studio during the COVID time, and then with you know the variant this and variant that, and we kind of had to you know hunker down for a while, and now we're back mm -hmm. to the uh, to the studio it feels so much better to be on site. So I'm kind of curious, like how did you build that culture with everybody being remote? Like, are you guys all in the US, all in the same time zone? Like how remote are you? Yeah, the core team, well, I guess most of the core team, except for one person are, are in the US. We, I mean, it's tricky. I think like the important thing is like doing video calls regularly to try to maintain that just kind of schedule and like personal relations and playing the game together and just engaging outside of just like this is your assignment type of thing this yeah. is what you have to work on right i think also like for the core team like we at least prior to covid we would do a lot of off sites so the i mean tahoe is obviously a great place to to visit and whether or it's live. Or, or, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, great place to live. But but even if you know it's, it's also a tourist destination, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I know Tahoe. So we've done we've done that a few times where I just have like the entire core team come over and spend a week there, and it's just a blast every time. And I think everybody likes each other, which is great. And I hope that we're able to maintain that forever. That's kind of the tricky thing now. It's like we have to scale up so quickly. Yeah, we don't want to hire the wrong people. So, so that's the thing, like how, how are you scaling up and, you know, even if you would, if, even when you scale up and everybody's on site, that's usually the, uh, the trickiest part for organization growth, because that's when the culture starts shifting, especially in your situation where you're talking about bringing super veterans in who have, honestly, they will shape the culture because they are coming from certain place. They will tell you how things are done. You'd say, all right. I believe in you, you do you, and I trust you. And then that person shifts the culture 10% to some direction. Then the, another leader yeah. comes in. And now you're all remote, so you can't really get the... Yeah, uh, yeah, once, you, yeah once it changes, it doesn't change back. Exactly. Um, 
I mean, I, I don't have the answer, right? Like no. I, I just do the best you can, right? Like I, I'm vetting people as much as I can. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the only thing I, I'm looking at is like, I have to hire the right leaders instead of hiring kind of the, the troops. You know, I, I don't have to go hire somebody who's a low level marketing person. No, or I, I understand. Right. So my, my view is like, I really have to get that top marketing position. That guy has to just, it, I mean, it's a gut thing at the end of the day, right? Like yeah. we want somebody who's experienced and smart. Yeah. But, but, but that person will come in from a big company. They will come in from Activision. They will come in from Bungie. They will come in from Microsoft, you name it. Like some of the other yeah. top companies because they work and they will bring their own culture. So maybe yeah. I'm, I'm kind of asking like, are you thinking about perhaps you know, setting up a studio somewhere close by Tahoe. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't think we're ever going to tell someone mm -hmm. like Ethan, our director of engineering, you know, he lives in Michigan. I'm yeah. never going to tell Ethan, Hey, sorry, you've been working for years, doing a great job, like pack up and move across the country. I, I'm not going to have that conversation, yeah, but I do think we'd like to get a couple of offices, right? Like I, Personally, I, I don't know when we're going to do this. We're too busy right now. I think getting an office in Tahoe and an office in the Bay Area maybe would be great. And then just give people flexibility. You know, to me, like the, the, the best solution is you set these offices up like a WeWork almost, right? Where it's like, come in when you feel like it. And I think especially with Tahoe, like we're going to have a lot of people in the Bay Area probably. So maybe they're working there most of the time. But Tahoe is an awesome place to visit. So, you know, maybe we structure something where people can come up and we'll cover their costs to stay for the week. I don't know. I mean, yeah. these are questions, you know, these are conversations we're having now um, about, but like, we're not, we're not ready to actually do anything about it. We're just, there's, we're being pulled in 50 directions. Right? I understand. I understand. No, but those are, those are like some of the other questions that, that I definitely have. And, and I've, I don't know many full remote companies, to be honest. I know I know a few, but they they didn't start fully remote, and they did scale up while being fully remote, and has seemingly worked for them. Like one of them being Super Evil Megacorp. It's also from from Bay Area, so yep. they, you know they've done in you know they they shifted their culture and everything around it to to function that way. But they didn't start that way, and and kind of like remembering yep. even visiting them. You know, when they were back in San Mateo and like, you know, on the uh, upstairs of Phil's are Coffee. They, they're fully remote now? I didn't even know that. The, uh, yeah, they are. They are. They are. So, so kind of visiting them and kind of, you know, seeing, you know, that startup-y vibe when everybody's working in that dodgy office <laughs> and really like working on their first game and kind of gelling in. That that's, seems very powerful. And when they grew, they opened up their own bigger studio where they had the esports corner and all that kind of stuff. And people would come in and it would, you know, there's a, there's a different culture when, when you have that, uh, that location yeah. and then kind of thinking even us, like when we have two locations, we have two different cultures with two locations, even though we're one company, like when I would go to Berlin, it's very different than it is in, in here in Helsinki. So, so that, that's why I'm kind of asking how, how you, you thought about it and definitely will be curious to hear about that in a year, how it, it's yeah. gone. I was going to say, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on it. I mean, yeah. I, well, if you ask me, I would, I would go for, for physical locations. Like when you said a couple of different locations. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I don't, I'm, I'm agreeing with you that it doesn't make any sense to put in one HQ at certain point and say, Hey, everybody has to be in this city. Like that's, you know, that's a little bit, that's 2018, right? 
<laughs> like like open up many options, but I feel like it's truly invaluable for people to kind of gel a little bit, especially when you're working on games like shooters, where you have people coming in and playing together and really doing that, you know, 0.1% improvements and sitting together and gelling and, and talking. And like when you have the designer together with the uh, engine, together with the executive producer, together with the technical director, and they can have that conversation, they can go out for a beer and next morning come, come, come back and do something amazing. So I think those are quite valuable. So I would, I would suggest multiple locations and look, you have over hundred million dollars in, in the bank, you are profitable. So it definitely makes sense to, to, uh, to perhaps like start with what you said, like we work type of a, opportunities that where you don't have to build a full new studio with, with your own decorations and shit like that, but, but just offer, offer opportunities for people in different clusters to be together. Yeah, no, the tr the one tricky thing about, uh, like gaming is you really need a desktop, right? So like it kind of makes it difficult to go back and forth. I mean, obviously you can use Perforce or GitHub. Yeah. But, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's true, especially with the uh, the programmers. We've been pretty lucky with with you know the laptops these days. We do use the other uh, the heavy razors, and we also have the, the what do you call them? Like <laughs> you, you um, the docks. Yeah, so it makes your computer even even stronger. But of course, programmers are always at the office. They have their towers there, so you can't really do anything. And artists, the same thing with the Waco boards. Like they can't move around. So, so that's that that's. That's yeah, that's, that's true. I wanted to ask you about your company sort of values and missions. Have you guys talked about those and, and is that a thing or are you just super focused on the product? I, yeah, I mean, we're super focused on the product. I mean, I think a big part of the driving factor here is like we have, I mean, our mission is to bring back the glory days of arena shooters, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's how I look at this. But I don't think that's that's not that's the mission right now. That's not the mission of. That's a product mission. Games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think for us, it's more just like we want to build a massive company. We want to do it the right way with a great culture. I mean, you read about some of these other companies. I won't name names, but obviously, there's been issues at some of the other big gaming companies. Like we we really don't want to do that. Obvi I mean, obviously, <laughs> I don't think they would wanted to do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's just, it's just something we're mindful of. Like, mm -hmm. we need to grow quickly. We're going to make some wrong hires. And it's just like, how can we do the best we can to scale this thing up quickly and make awesome games? Do you think it makes sense to, now that you've reached the point where you don't have to, you know, I mean, you still have to think about the product every day. But you also reach the point where you're now scaling up. So do you think it makes sense to kind of, maybe update the mission a little bit because what you just told me in the beginning is different than, than the company mission, like arena shooter, bringing back the yeah. glory day seems to be the mission for the split gate. But as you said, the company wants to be around different genres, multiple different games and just success overall. But yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we should. Yeah. yeah cause, cause, <laughs> kinda, Cause as you start bringing people in, they're like, so, Hey captain, what's up? Where are we heading? Right. <laughs> you kind of have to put it a little bit further away. And the second thing, like, but, but I know where you're coming from because I was, I had the same perception as well, kind of earlier that, you know, let's just focus on making this game and we'll figure it out later because if the game sucks, nobody's going to care about our values or about our mission, right? <laughs> right? Like it's a, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg, but at the same time, now that you have the, uh, that point of like, okay, the game has legs, 
and now I need to hire a lot more people, I would definitely push towards truly thinking about the values because the values will help you to guide the people's work towards the mission that you've set. So like, this is where we want to be as a company and this is how we work to get there. And then it's really clear. So when you make right hires or wrong hires, you can easily go back to your, to your values and be like, Hey, when this is the value that we have, this is what it means. This is what it doesn't mean. And you're not playing according to the value. So, you know, it's pretty clear. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's, it's just, it's something we need to figure out more. Yeah. Uh, I think we all have a, a rough idea of what it is, but I think like actually like getting specific on it. I know it's, it's, but it's hard. And especially cause it takes, uh, I, I know, I know exactly how you feel because you're, you're just thinking about the product and the success of the product. And, and, but anyways, like that would be, that that's probably going to be interesting. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tricky. Like, I mean, I, so much, there's so much pressure to focus on the product right now. And, you know, oh, we got to be Fortnite tomorrow. Right. But like at the same time, it's like, we don't have to be Fortnite no. tomorrow. Right. We've, we've got time. Yeah. We need to build a team yes. and a culture and we need to position ourselves such that like when we do launch 1.0, we're ready to, you know, hit the ground running yeah. and we're ready to, to take this, you know, well beyond where we're at today, whatever that may be. Yeah. Yeah. And then and that's why I, I know that the other uh, value workshops and stuff like that, I mean, however you want to do it, it will take its time and you will arrive at something that is like bland in the beginning. You know, we want to be, <laughs> you'll do the, the everything like players first, inclusive. What else is there? <laughs> like yeah. like all, all these, all these kind of things. And you'd be like, okay, now we sound like every company. And then you'd right. be like, all right, let's, let's really think about what we want to do. Maybe you want to go with your, with your co-founder back to your dorm and kind of think about like, what was, what were we really dreaming about? <laughs> and then, and then, and then kind of, kind of figure out from there because it takes its time. It takes its time. But once you have them, it's really easy to kind of relay back to your, to your values and have them as a guiding principle of how we work. So I really suggest uh, doing that. And it brings you tremendous amount of clarity as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm not supposed to talk here. Anyway, let's talk about the, the, the next phase for like, like what's next for 1047? Like what are the, some of the, uh, the key opportunities you're after and what do you think are the biggest challenges? Yeah. Uh, and sorry, just to, to start, like I, yeah. I do have to get going in four minutes. Yeah. So I've got a call. I think, you know, next phase it's, there's really two things on my mind. It's, I mean, honestly, hiring, like that's, that's the most important thing right now. Um, I mean, split gate and hiring, like they're, they're pretty yeah. equally important, but I think for me, I, I am more focused on the long term than the short term. Like I have faith that, you know, if we can build the team and get all the pieces lined up, like a split gate can be the biggest game of 2022. Mm -hmm. Like that's how I'm looking at it is I, I doesn't need to be the biggest game of 2021. Like it's great. We're in a great spot. Yeah. How can I position ourselves such that like when we do launch in 20, you know, we're ready to be the biggest game. So before you leave, just what are the, some of the key positions you're looking for? So that people listening to this yeah. podcast can actually I mean, you know, genuinely everything. Like everything. I'm not, right. <laughs> you know, we need more engineers. We need more artists. We need a head of marketing. We need, you know, a VP of user acquisition. We need a chief revenue officer. We need a chief product officer, a chief operating officer, right? Like 
all of these different, you know, executive producer, right? I think our team is really, really good getting from zero to one and creating an awesome, fun experience. Mm -hmm. But I think the kind of like live ops, you know, Fortnite does it really well, right? Where there's just always something new, you know, that is a position we need somebody who's got that expertise to just constantly be running the show, right? The executive producer. The master of content treadmill. And all yeah. the C-level C positions and head of head of people, do you have that one? Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, we need that. <laughs> that would be probably one of the first because then that, that person can help you with the, uh, with yeah. the hiring. I mean, I'm, like, literally, like where we're at right now uh-huh. is we want to hire great people and there is no shortage of openings. Like I will hire like any superstar out there, like I'll hire them. We'll okay. figure it out. I think we can end the podcast on that. Any superstar, you hire them. So to everybody listening, you know, you know, if you have the experience and, and it, people know who are listening to this, that they have it or not, connect with Ian. And what's the best way to connect yeah. with you? Uh, I guess on LinkedIn, probably. All right. Um, I'll put in the, the description notes below. And if you if you're looking for the C-suit position, DM me and I'll, 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 I'll send them to you. <laughs> But you have to be what twenty years in, right? No, no, no. No, I, mean, no? <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? I, I want talented people. Like, yeah, talented people with plenty of experience. All right. Yeah. On that note, Ian, thank you so much for making time, and honestly, best of luck. It's going to be very interesting to see you guys grow and and amazing journey so far, and it's only the beginning. Appreciate it. Really, really appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.